It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Boom, it's Rusty. What is up, everyone? It is Monday. Back at it. It feels like it's been a long time since I've done a show, so... That's a good thing. That means I'm here. You're here. We're we're ready. We're ready to do some show. So um, welcome, everybody, here to the Public Access Podcast, the podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. Check out other shows on the network, such as When the Gloves Come Off, the Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Saved by the Ben, and the show is brought to you by Fred Ben Savage as fuck. Stoner Eats Productions, Hardcore Entertainment, Hypnosis is Great, and SockEmUp.org. So you can also, if you guys want to be a part of the show, you can. Besides liking, sharing, and subscribing to places on wherever you listen to podcasts or YouTube or Rumble, you can leave a message. But uh, maybe messages aren't for you, and you can be like, Yeah, but I do. So give me a call. 503-974-6420. So I'm going to go right ahead. I'm going to bring on our guest right here, right now. We have Damon Parker. How you doing? What's up, my friend? How are we doing, Rusty? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Excellent. Can't complain, man. Excellent. So uh, I saw on your, you had a picture uh, where you had a, a beard and uh, you, you had, uh, I think you had maybe hair, maybe hair too, but at least a beard. No hair. No hair, just a beard. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I, I get that one. And uh, um, yeah, so yeah, I was like, okay, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's, uh, if the beard is a permanent look or if it's, uh, Something that just sort of comes up, comes and goes, or if a poster showed up for your podcast. No, uh, I I was at this this mountain climbing endurance event uh, not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, leading up to that, knowing that I was going to be outside for a long extended period of time was was going for every bit of sun protection I could because you know you get to higher elevation, the sun's a lot more intense. I heard where we were at, it was going to be. It, it was going to be pretty intense. And so grew a beard. And I, that just led me to getting a sunburn on every part of my body, except for my face, you know? So, uh, but yeah, this is the second I got home, man, that thing came off. My, my kids hated it. My wife hated it. I wasn't a big fan. So i uh, glad to be rid of it. And back to bald is beautiful, man. Right on. Where did you go uh, hiking? It was, where, uh, it was a, a hiking you said contest or well, not really a contest, but it's more of an endurance event. It's called 29029 Everesting. So um, they have a bunch of different locations around the world. This one was, I think they do like six a year, seven a year, maybe. Uh, this one was in the Grand Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And oh, cool. Yeah, it was beautiful. I, I was just up there, not maybe like a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah beautiful up there. It uh, is. Yeah, un unfortunately, I didn't get a lot of chance to enjoy the scenery. Like the way this event works is, uh, you 
you start at the bottom. It's obviously off season for skiing. So you start at the bottom of this mountain, you, you climb to the summit and then you get in the ski lift and you ride it down to the bottom and then you repeat and you do that over and over and over again until oh. you've gained 29,000 feet of vertical elevation gain, which is the height of Mount Everest. And so you, you basically climb the height of Mount Everest in, and you have 36 hours to do it. So uh, you, you climb this mountain. At, at this event, it was 19 times. And it's, it's really something, man. And as, as I was uh, taking a shuttle from the airport to, to the mountain, our shuttle driver was like, yeah, well, you guys are actually going to be hiking on the, the steepest ski run in the United States. And I was like, man, I could have done without that information, but uh, it's, it's a bear, man, but it's a, it truly is a life-changing event. Is that on the face of the mountain? Like, uh, okay. So, all right. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty steep, steep spot right there. That's yeah. It's one of those, when you're driving up to it, it, it's like, okay, that doesn't look so bad. But then when you stand at the foot of it and you look up, it's like, oh man, what have <laughs> I done? I've made yeah. a terrible mistake. <laughs> and then, yeah, once you get up the top, then you go down, you go and do it again. And, but again yeah, do, yeah. It, do it three times. Uh, tw- uh, 19 times. Oh, oh, okay. 19 times. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean... So okay, you get done with day one. What what's going through your head there? Well, they, the, you you don't really think of it as day one because you don't sleep during this event. So oh. uh, you you just some people will if they move fast enough they'll carve out an hour or so to go try to close their eyes. Um, I'm the kind of person that like a I weigh 250 pounds, so like I'm not really built for mountain climbing. And so I can't really move at a pace that would allow me to be able to complete the challenge and, and sleep. So I just go into it knowing that I'm going to be awake for 36 hours. And, and the, the other side of it too, man, is like you, when you, when you hike through the night and you get to watch the sunrise, like that's a pretty special thing because at night, you know, you're, you're limited to this hula hoop sized area that you can see with your, with your headlamp. And then you really don't see anything else because there's very little light pollution there. And so it's basically just darkness. But then when you get to see the sunrise the next morning, you, uh, that, that's a pretty special thing because not many people have done that, you know, at least not in that capacity. And I kind of put it in perspective for a lot of our, our TikTok followers. I was like, you know what? We just hit the 24 hour mark. And instead of waking up, going to wrestling practice because I coach a wrestling team. But I was like, you instead of going to practice and then going to the office, working all day, coming home and going to a baseball game that my son's playing in and then hanging out with the family and then eating dinner and then going to bed and then waking up and doing it all over again. Instead of that, we just climbed a mountain that whole entire time. And now we're going to do it for 12 more hours. It's, it is such a weird, crazy thing that, that people do, but it's a, a special kind of human that signs up for it. And that's, that's one of the best things about that event is, is just the people that you get to meet because, you know, your average Joe off the street doesn't sign up for something like that. It's a lot of really driven individuals and people that make you better just by being around them. And you'll learn a lot about other people when you see them in the midst of human suffering. And there's, I don't know if you, like most people have probably stayed up for 24 hours at some point and like weird stuff starts happening to your brain, right? 
Now imagine when you start missing that second sleep cycle, right? When you hit about that 30 hour mark, that's when stuff starts getting real weird. And it's, it really truly is an experience unlike any other. And so are you with other people at this point when you're getting towards the, the end of it? Are you, um, or is everyone just kind of scattered all over the mountain or are you starting to see people near you and you're like, whoa, hey man, what's what's going on with you? Uh, are yeah, you seeing and, this And that's this one of the stuff? cool things about it. It's like, you know, you go do an ultra marathon and say you're gonna do a hundred K or hundred mile or whatever. Like it, you don't develop any kind of relationships with people because you're either passing them and they're passing you. And it, it's rare that you're you're staying with someone for an extended period of time. But at this thing, since it's you go to the top and, and you're just doing a loop over and over again, right? You you get to know a lot of people that are out there. You know where they're from. You know their story, all that, and like everybody's really willing to talk. At least at first, like once once people start getting totally zonked about that twenty hour mark, then like conversation becomes pretty minimal. But uh, but yeah, like you you make a lot of connections and relationships. I've got friends from like I've only done it two years last year and then this summer, but. I've got people that I still stay in contact with that live in different places all across the country that uh, that I met just like on the side of some random mountain, you know. Uh, the but yeah, I think the the quickest way to build to build connections is is through shared suffering, and that's I've coached a lot of sports, and that but that's part of the main reason why I coach wrestling is you know it is it is a sport of of mutual combat and mutual suffering. And you get to see connections there that you just don't in any other sport. But but to answer your question, uh, we went with a, a team of, of people from a company here in Topeka, Kansas called Advisors Excel. And they work with financial advisors from all over the country. And so there's a group of people from Advisors Excel and the people that they work with that all went and did this event together with and of course there's also other random people from around the country but our group was doing it as a fundraiser for the nonprofit that i run and uh and yeah it was a wildly successful fundraiser we got to do a really cool event and uh yeah it was very special and so then yeah you were saying also that uh i mean yeah the shared experience of suffering with you know with wrestling i mean that was i mean there's a lot of people i would never have met in my life had it not been for for uh through that but then it's like yeah we're all just we all have that kind of yeah we've been through a bunch of stuff we've all beaten the crap out of each other and right. we've all gotten beaten up plenty uh and uh yeah i mean it's just something you just can uh, always always kind of yeah, bond over and and stuff like that and then so well I mean, were you wrestling when you were younger, and then that's what you got it? Why you got into it, or was it something? Yeah, that... I, I I started a little later to the game than most people. I started in seventh grade, and you know, I didn't Me didn't too. win a single match in seventh or eighth grade, and wanted to quit. But um, my dad had bought me new wrestling shoes, so he wouldn't let me. And I don't come from an athletic family; like I was the first one to ever play a sport. But my dad was like, "You know what? You you committed to this thing. We're gonna stick it out for at least another year." And then all of a sudden, get to high school, and what do you know? Like start getting some hair on the chest and like start figuring the thing out. I was fortunate enough to win a couple of state championships that paid for some of my college. And, and yeah, I just, I got a lot out of the sport. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've had the, the fortunate opportunity to hopefully give some of that back to, to other kids. And so is there, let's see, 
like a, a special technique or move that you're kind of known for? Or are you are you all about fundamentals or what's what's kind of your style? It, it myself, uh, I, I kind of took the approach of uh, my high school coach. I remember him telling me, he's like, you know, if because I was one of the bigger wrestlers, I wasn't the heavyweight on our team. I was the, the weight class before back then it was 215. And it was like, you know, if you want to to get your name on the wall, like being a state placer, like finish top six at state He's like get really good at pushing guys around. But if you want to win a state championship then then you got to wrestle like a little dude stuck in a fat dude's body and so you know that's I kind of took that to heart and became someone that you know tried to do things that were a little bit more athletic and not your stereotypical big guy moves but uh, I, th I think that that's that's pretty consistent it's it's rare that you see someone that's you know a state champion in the upper weight classes that just pushes people around like you got to be athletic and you got to have a, a pretty big toolbox yeah and then so so then you started coaching and do you, what did I remember you saying that you're teaching or that you were coaching a uh, girls team. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. I coached, cool. uh, All right. coached boys team uh, from 2011 until 2021. So about a decade. And, you know, that, that was your classic Cinderella worst to first. Like my first year we uh, as coach at, I coach at Washburn Girl high school, which is a, a 6A large class school in Topeka, Kansas. And, my, my first year as coach of the boys team, we finished 31st out of 32 teams in 6A. And the only team that we, that we beat to stay out of last place, uh, they didn't qualify anybody for state that year. So we didn't beat a team that had a single human being on the roster. And then, you know, after a, a decade of pouring my life into it, we, in 2021, uh, actually, let me back it up for a second. In 2019, they sanctioned girls wrestling in the state of Kansas. Uh, for the first time and girls wrestling is uh, regardless of, of age or or gender girls wrestling is the fastest growing sport in the world it cool. is it's just exploding everywhere and we saw the opportunity to like I knew it wasn't going to be a passing trend and so it's like let's jump on top of this thing and let's be the first ones out of the gate here and that really commit to the girl side of wrestling and so we did, and we went from not having any girls on the team whatsoever to having the, the largest girls wrestling team on earth. And that's not hyperbole. It actually is. We've, we've had greater participation numbers at Washburn Hill High School than any other team, high school, Olympic preparatory, college, anybody uh, over the last four years. And so what's that number? I'm sorry. Uh, we're, it, it depends on the year, but we're, we always start between 60 and 70 girls that come out. And oh, shit. Yeah. And that's awesome. It is, man. It's, it is really, really cool. And in 2021, uh, we became the, the first team or the first school in the history of the United States to win both a boys and a girls state championship in the same season. And Whoa. the way that we, we did that is not by any kind of, like, I, I don't know any special wrestling moves that other people don't know, you know, and our, our kids are in good shape, but I wouldn't say that like, we have some kind of super recipe for putting our kids in better condition than everybody else. We, the way that, that we win championships, and I think that this is applicable no matter what you do, whether it's coaching or you're in sales, whatever. Uh, we don't focus on championships. It's just not something that we talk about. Like I would, I would rather have one of my kids say the F word in practice than say state champion. Like it's never one of our goals. It's never something that we're allowed to talk about in the room. Instead of focus on championships, we focus on focus on relationships. 
And if you focus on relationships, you focus on caring about other people and, and all of the great things that come along with that, then the championships just kind of happen. And we've been fortunate enough that to, since that year, we've won four state titles and they were just, we're going to keep it rolling, man. But it's, but yeah, after that 2021 season, it was, I, I would liken it to coaching two separate sports in the same season. So like if you were the, the head football coach, but you were also the head cross country coach because our numbers were such that we couldn't fit everybody into one room. So we would do boys wrestling practice, 315 to 515. Then I would have 15 minutes to go change clothes, change hats as a coach, and then come back and run girls practice from 530 until 730 and then get done with that. And then I've got all the administrative stuff because when you got double the double the kids, you're running two programs. You've got double parent emails, double paperwork you got to fill out, double bus requests, everything down to like, what are we eating for breakfast on Saturday? You got to do twice the work. You know, so I was at that point then getting home every night between nine, 10 o'clock. My kids are already asleep, you know, and it was just one of those things where it was like, something's got to give. So we, and, and plus my mental health was not in a great spot at that point. And so knowing that I needed to back away from something, the boys program, they already, uh, they, they already had the foundation. They had everything that they needed to continue being successful. The girls program was still so novel that, you know, I knew if they made a bad hire there, then everything could kind of fall apart because the infrastructure wasn't there yet. And so it was knowing that I needed to leave something for my own good, for the good of my family. We, we decided to leave the boys and that was really difficult because you know, I love those kids. And like a lot of those kids that were about to be seniors, I hadn't worked with since they were five years old. And then all of a sudden I got a bail on, but it's just, it's, there, there really was no other option, but it was the right time to do it because I knew like they could have pulled any person off of the street. Like our, the, the team we had coming back the next year was so stinking good. They could have pulled anybody off the street, handed them a whistle and said, go coach that team. And they would have won a state championship. And they ended up winning one. Not to say that our, our new coach doesn't know what he's doing. Josh Hogan's doing a great job. But uh, at the same time, like we knew that it was the right time for the transition because the, all the pieces were in place for the next person to be successful. Um, so then with, uh, with gender and, and that, is that, I mean, that, that's been a big topic of, of debate. Um, is that boogeyman in the room? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, I don't know. Cause there's, especially with, you know, combat sports, it's different than some other ones, but. I mean, it's still, I don't know. I think, yeah, it's kind of all over the board with how different from state to state, how each one is uh, looking over it and realizing how to work best with it for the benefit of the good. And so what's kind of the, rules and regulations with Kansas? I, to be completely honest with you, I don't know. Uh, it, it's not something that I really concern myself with. I know it's it's constantly changing at the state house here, which is like literally two blocks down the road from my office here. But uh, I, I honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Um, for a long time, it was 
whatever you declared as, as you were coming up uh, from eighth grade, then, you know, essentially that's what they, they viewed you as for the rest of your high school career, you know, so you sign up as a, uh, a male wrestler and you're biologically male wrestler, then that's where you're at. And, and if you made some kind of transition, then like paperwork wise, there was no way of going back from that at that point. But I know that has changed a little bit, but to be completely honest, man, I, I honestly have no idea what the answer is to your question because I don't really follow it that closely. So then do you have uh, either biological boys on, on the girls team or biological girls on the boys team? Or is that um, something that's... We have had that scenario. Um, I have not had any biological boys on our girls team, uh, but I have had some girls that are uh, that made the transition while they were in high school to, to become male. And, you know, I put it like this, man. Like I had... Uh, we, we live in a very conservative state in Kansas. And I had this coach that, you know, he, there, there's a community in town. Uh, I won't say which one, but there's a community in town that's a, a pretty liberal community. There's a university there. And this, this coach from that town called and said, called me and just out of the blue. I'd never really talked to this guy. And he's like, yo, coach, they're, they're talking about letting people like, transition and they can compete wherever they want to compete. And I think he expected me as a girls coach to say like, no, I don't, I don't want biological boys competing against girls. Uh, and I, he was like, so what do you think about all that? We got the school board coming up, meeting coming up. I'd love for you to come talk. And I was like, you know, man, I don't know what I think about it because that's not my decision to make. Like as a coach, like, I think the big problem that people are making is like, whether it's politicians or parents or whatever, we have we have created this transgender boogeyman that's out to steal all of our trophies and medals. And everybody forgets to talk to the kids that are actually involved in the sport. And that just drives me absolutely nuts. And I told this guy, I was like, you know what, dude, I, I honestly haven't thought about it, but I'll talk to my girls. Let me get their opinion and then I'll get back to you. He's like, okay. And so next day, like we, this was during the summer, we had a a summer practice and I it, it's really hard to I think with most groups to to bring a topic up like that and not give because we all have like uh our, our voice inflection like that I, I that kind of gives away what you're trying to get at right if, right. if people are in tune and I just sat in front of our girls and I was like there is no agenda whatsoever on my part here I'm I just I truly want your honest opinion and I'll ask you the same question that this coach asked me. Like, if you, if you were to say, make the state finals and the person that you were going to wrestle in the finals identifies as a female, but is biologically a male and you lose to that person, how would you feel about that? And we had a really intense discussion about it. And the, and I just kind of facilitated that discussion and and let the girls talk. And the vast majority, the overwhelming majority were super fine with it. They were just fine with it. And I had one of my kids put it to me this way. And I, I thought this was a really good way to put it that a lot of people my age, older people that are making decisions in that state house, they, they would do well to get out there and actually talk to a kid. But this kid tells me, it's like, you know, I kind of look at that as if I were driving down the highway and a meteor fell out of the sky and crushed my car. Like, there's the potential that that could happen. Is it going to happen? No. 
Okay, because again, that going back to the boogeyman, this thing that we've created, like there's maybe one or two instances out there where it's happened and it's been noteworthy, but for the most part, it's not going to happen and it's not something that we should be wasting time legislating. And she's like, it's not going to happen. And if it does happen, it's like, well, that kind of sucks, but there was nothing much I could have done about that. You know, and I think sometimes the perspective of a 15 year old kid is what's missing from adults trying to make decisions. And this, so at that point, it's like, you know, regardless of what my personal beliefs are, it's not my call, man, because it's not my yeah. life, you know, and it's, I, I just find it very, uh, and, you know, and again, to the same note, if all of those girls would have been like, you know, that, that's terrible, they shouldn't let biological boys compete, whatever, then I would have been at that school board meeting and I would have communicated that exact same mes message. Because, because again, it's not my decision, it's theirs. And so and it, and it was their opinion that needed to be communicated, not mine as an old white guy. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I delivered that information back to that coach and surprise, surprise, I did not get invited to, to speak at that school board meeting. But, uh, but yeah, they wanted you for that reason. And if you didn't right, align with that reason, that I was going to support the, the opinion of this coach that very clearly had not gone and talked to any of his kids because I've run a lot of camps, a lot of clinics around and like that has become a point of discussion for us. And I asked an overwhelming majority. It is super rare when I have a girl say, no, that's not right. Like all of them are like, we don't care. We're, we're not here for trophies. We're here to like have fun and go out for ice cream afterwards, you know? And so I don't know. It's, and again, like when, whenever I say that to people, people think that, that I'm opinionated. It's like, no, I'm not opinionated. What it is is I'm communicating the opinions of the people that that are actually impacted by the decisions that other people are making for them. Yeah, I mean, you're there to coach. You're there to make make your team the best that you can make them and make each yeah. individual the best they can do. And yeah, however they want to run it from there. Yeah, that's it's not gonna you know I don't know. Yeah, it's not gonna make a difference either way if you you know are yeah training someone or training someone else. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be. Yeah. Same thing, as long as they're you know, out there and yeah, doing what they want to do. So yeah, and um, like along the same lines, man. I had this this kid that first year that girls wrestling had had been sanctioned in 2019, 2020, that year. Uh, this kid tells me one day, like, I didn't have this kid in class or they and they come up to me, and they're like, hey, coach, I uh just so you know, I go by they them pronouns and you know, if you could call me that or call me by that for the future, I'd appreciate it. Uh, it's like, what? Like, I, I, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'll try, but I don't know if I can do that because, like, I had never been exposed to that before. Like, that was the first time I had ever heard of someone wanting to use different pronouns. And a year later, this kid didn't end up wrestling long term. They wrestled for that one year and then never wrestled again. And a year, maybe it was two years later, I just kind of found them in the hallway and whatever. I was like, I owe you a huge apology, man, because like there, you gave me a position where I was outside of my comfort zone. I just assumed it was a kid wanting to be weird for the sake of being weird. And I didn't respect what, what you brought to me that day. And I've lost a lot of sleep over that because I have a feeling that that, that probably played a role in you not coming back out from my team. And this was not a person that was ever going to compete for a varsity spot, but it was a person that, you know, that needed what we had going on. There's a reason they signed up for it. 
And then my closed-minded self just completely shut them down when they brought something to me that was really important just out of my own ignorance because I didn't realize how important that was to someone. And it's, that, that was a great lesson for me professionally to learn that, you know, just because, like, just because I haven't had that experience doesn't mean that I shouldn't respect somebody else's truth. And I think we could all do, do better to, to really respect where other people are coming from, even if it's different than our own personal experience. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like that the kid, you know, was pretty respect, you know, respective. I can't even talk right now. Um, very much respected the way you were doing it and came up to you in, in a, you know, respecting way of, uh, you know, just like, hey, this is not like, because I mean, yeah, I, I, with it, you know, it's, it can be a, a two way street and, you know, like, you, you know, he was, you know, not trying to be a, you know, a jerk about it or anything. And like, you know, you're, everyone's just, I don't know. But then some people, you know, both ways like to make it a big thing. And if, if you don't do this, then, you know, there's some reason. And, and if I don't do it, it's some reason. And, but that makes it harder sometimes. But, you know, I think it's, again, goes to that level of respect for everyone just to, I don't know. And it makes it a lot harder when someone's being a jerk about it. Um, but I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but sometimes, I don't know, it's, it's hard. And then it, sometimes it's just like, someone doesn't give you respect and you give have to just, okay, that's fine. Maybe there's something going on with them that they don't do it. And maybe they, I don't know, but then maybe it's, a bunch of different things you never really never really know never really know what someone else is going through or doing so and i mean when we were kids it it wasn't a thing and so it's yeah it's new new to us and just try to well i think that i think you just hit it on the head right there it's new to us okay yeah. like it's it's not like this is something that's all of a sudden been been invented in the last five years it's something that's always been laying beneath the surface, but we're just now progressing as a society to the point where it's okay for people to talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's like back in the 1800s when they say he died of natural causes. No, he didn't. He died of lymphoma, but we didn't know what lymphoma was back then. That doesn't mean that it didn't exist. It just right. wasn't at the surface. Yeah. And so uh, back to the, the speeches uh, of, not going that guy not uh hiring you for it are you doing other speeches other places are you going and or any talks or anything or are you doing stuff yeah, like uh, that that's that's essentially what i do for a living man like i i was a teacher for 21 years and now i i running this this nonprofit. we i basically go around and do one hour keynotes in different schools pretty much every day uh, last year, we did gave 91 keynotes, talked to over 30,000 kids, and spent a lot of time on the road, drove over 10,000 miles, and all of that within the state of Kansas. And additionally, I do, you know, when I was teaching before, I don't know if you know this or not, teachers don't get paid exceptionally well. And so, you know, I would I would coach football in the, in the fall. In the winter, I would coach wrestling. But in the spring, I intentionally didn't coach anything so that during the spring and the summer, I could do professional speaking engagements that would then 
help supplement my teaching salary, you know, and we still do a small handful of those every year, but through the nonprofit, I get paid a, sal- a salary. So I don't need to do nearly as many of those, those professional engagements, but we do, do still do those from time to time, probably about five to 10 a year. Okay. And so, yeah, not driving 10,000 miles across Kansas and. Right. Well, with those, we're a lot more likely to jump on a plane. Uh, and that's the nice thing too, is when you reach a point where you've been, uh, pretty successful in, in the business and there's a demand there, then you can be really selective about what you do and you, you do it for the, the, the price that's appropriate. And, and, you know, you can say no to things, you know, when you're, when you first start out in the speaking business, you'll, you'll say yes to any chamber of commerce that will give you 200 bucks for showing up, you know, but right. when you get to a point where it's like, you know what, I can only do eight of them this year. Uh, so price better be right. And this, it's got to work with my schedule, you know? Yeah. And eight times isn't a lot of times to do. Uh, so I don't know, because uh, flying in airplanes and going to airports isn't quite as doesn't seem maybe it's for older. Uh, it doesn't seem as glamorous to me as it, as it once did. Maybe when I was a kid, I had a, I have a different outlook on going to uh, going to there. And maybe also I wasn't as tall and. Um, didn't have to, you know, try to squeeze into a seat and, you know, hopefully get an aisle seat so I can stick my legs out into the aisle until someone comes walking by and I, I don't trip them, but. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big dude too. I'm not, like, I'm that guy that when I'm coming down the aisle, everybody looks at me like, oh God, please don't sit next to me. Please don't sit next to me. You know? Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm one of those rare birds that like, I actually like traveling, man. Like the, the only thing I don't like about it, my wife's awesome. My kids are awesome. I hate being away from them. But, you know, I, when I have to wake up at four in the morning and jump in the car to drive to liberal Kansas or whatever it is that I'm doing that day, like I actually enjoy that because it's quiet time in the car. Like it's been a few hours. It gives me an opportunity to listen to the public assets podcast, you know, all that kind oh, of stuff. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, and, and that's a good learning opportunity for me too. I think far too often we we get some extra time in the day and we just start scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or listen to music or whatever. But if you've got a, an extended period of time where you can sit in the car with nobody else in there for conversation, or if you're on an airplane or whatever, there's that. What a great learning opportunity, man! Where you can you can plug into somebody that's really really educated on a subject that you want to learn more about and. All of a sudden, if you've like, I was I was talking to one of my friends that was over at the house last night about this. It's like, if you want to become an expert, like a field expert, where you know more than ninety nine percent of the human population, all you got to do is read three books on a topic. Okay, like if if I read three books on on how to grow succulents, okay, I would know way more than ninety nine percent of the population. I would essentially become a succulent expert, you know. And so, right. like, I have this. <laughs> this opportunity in my car every single day or when I'm on a plane or whatever to to sit down and listen to audiobooks or listen to podcasts on a certain topic and it's just I I feel like a, a slow motion version of Neo in the Matrix you know when they plug that thing into the back of his head and then they upload yep. and he's like I know Kung Fu it's, it's like <laughs> that man like and we all have that opportunity because we all have downtime and you know you can either use it for just flipping through your phone or like have somebody teach you something yeah, I mean, the last whatever three years or going back to whatever the 2020 thing uh, that I, you know, won't won't say because I don't, you know, they like taking my stuff down and they start talking about that. Um, 
but I mean, so many people went the route of just scrolling through social media all day when they had such an opportunity to, like you're saying, to learn so many new things. And uh, it's all out there and it's all free for the most part. Almost everything is free. I mean, uh, I got many different, you know, degrees at YouTube University and, uh, or, you know, um, every, like this Stanford, Harvard, MIT all have all their courses online. Um, you can find any book online. You got, you got libraries that will, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to know the Dewey Decimal System anymore. You can put it in the thing and they'll get the book, you know, to you if it's in your county and, you know, or, you know, be able to download any audiobook to read when or listen to whenever and um someone has a podcast about anything and sure. uh, if they don't then then gotta make one i guess is uh kind of the rule and i mean the the learning is out there for anyone and i think that's important to just especially if you have that time just to you know be able to take it and you know use that to your advantage to better yourself you don't Sure. Uh, you can't yeah you can't you, how much can you better yourself scrolling through scrolling through the internet scrolling through sure. or not internet social media you're not you're just going to be spinning your wheels and it's maybe gonna give you a short boost of serotonin but then you're just going for that fix again trying to right. you know yeah, and, I mean, social media—it's—it's it, it's like anything, man. It can be used for good or evil. Like if yep. you do a good job of of curating your algorithm, like Instagram, I use almost exclusively for wrestling stuff. You know, like we we have one for the Jones Project, our nonprofit, and but to be honest, my my assistant Mary, she does all the posting there. Like I hardly use that one at all, other than to communicate with kids that were in schools that we went to that needed somebody to talk to. Uh, but that said, like, I have a one for our wrestling program also, and, you know, I will only like and follow stuff by other wrestling people that are out there. So I get a lot of stuff that comes across my feed. That's like really interesting technique stuff that I haven't seen before that, that we could potentially incorporate into what we're trying to do at practice. And, you know, it's, if you do a good enough job of, of curating that content that's coming at you, then you're feeding your brains with the right thing. And then scrolling is not necessarily the the worst thing in the world. And, and a lot of times, for me anyway, it just kind of plants the seed because for the most part, you're, there, there are video length limitations on most of those different apps for social media. And so, you know, in a two minute video, are you gonna learn everything you need to know about the topic? No, but it can send you down that that internet rabbit hole in a, in a positive way that's gonna bring about a desired result. And so, yeah, I try not to spend too much time just, just flipping through and watching things that are gonna make me laugh or whatever, but if I can find things that are that are motivational that I could use with my kids or things that I could use from, from other people that are motivational speakers that are up on stage, it's like, oh man, I really like the way that he blocked out whatever. Uh, the, you know, I think it can be an enormously powerful tool. So when you're doing speeches, how much of it is, do you have everything kind of uh, written out or at least thought out before you go, or is it changed from place to place? Or do, are you all off the cuff? Uh, no, I think I don't think there's any decent speaker on the planet that shows up and wings it. You know, the, nobody does that. Um, that would be like 
not practicing all week long as an NFL team, not having any kind of game plan and just showing up and being like, eh, we know how to play football. We'll figure this thing out. Uh, doesn't work that way. Like that's, that's amateur hour stuff. Uh, now the, the talk that I give in schools, it's constantly evolving and I'm constantly adding new little tweaks here and there. The nice thing about it is three fourths of it is my life story or at least my story on this topic. And you know, your own personal story doesn't really change. So there are, but at the same time, in 45 minutes, it's really hard to tell about what you did yesterday. Well, if you wanted to go into detail, let alone what you did over the course of the last 20 years. Right. And so are you getting... So I can... Go ahead. I'm sorry, say that again? No, you, you glitched for a second. So yeah, I didn't oh, okay. know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's really tough to to fit all of that information in the one 45 minute segment. And so, you know, I can always pick and choose. I, I did that a lot during this last year when we were kind of in our, our first year, because we've only been in an organization since a year ago, June. So, you know, the, the first nine months that we were out there on the road, it was finding what resonates really well with kids and what's the best way we can package this information so that they're more likely to, to take action and to, to really internalize what we're talking about. So, you know, we've, we've got it pretty well fine-tuned to the point where I don't have to make a whole lot of edits. Uh, and so I could just kind of, I could just kind of show up there and I've got this 45 minute section that's pretty well packaged already. The other 15 minutes of the keynote is really directed at the tiers of intervention that they have going on in that school, things that are really specific to what's going on in that school. So that takes a heck of a lot of prep work uh, on that end. But th the other piece, you know, I've got a, a really good handle on that because it's relatively easy to tell my story. I know the timing on the jokes and I know like how to, how to use a heavy pause to, to make kids cry. You know, like you want to touch on as many of the basic human emotions as you can in a good talk. And, and we've got that down. Now that, again, that 15 minute piece uh, that one does take a good bit of prep, but, and that, that part changes to answer your question in a long way. Uh, that part changes in every single school that we go to because no two schools are the same. Right. And so then are you, I mean, so if there's something that's hitting from one school where it might not, I don't know, something that you could add like another minute from a school from a different school, do you take any of those experiences into your 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 next speeches, or do they kind of stay back with the school? Like, if you have some crazy breakthrough in one of your your speeches at a school, do you ever do you ever reference that when you go to other schools, or does it just end there and it's that's yeah, it? Yeah, if, it, if it's something I think would be applicable to to the general population, then yeah, we put it in. And that's what I mean when I say it's, it's constantly evolving. You know, if there's a, uh, a certain, and usually what it is, is it's when I have touch points with kids afterwards. Uh, the, the weird thing, man, about this whole past year is, you know, I go speak somewhere professionally and I'm talking mainly to an adult audience at a conference for, you know, association, corporation, big business, whatever. At the end, it's always the same. You know, dozen or so people come up, shake my hand, ask for a business card so they can refer me to somebody else for whatever. And hey, great job, thanks for coming, whatever. And it's usually a pretty quick interaction. With kids, they come up and all that stuff. Like, hey, great job, thanks for coming. Now here's everything that's going on in my life, and they just they they just want to tell me about 
like some of the stuff is is pretty benign and some of it's like really traumatic stuff that these kids have been through and that they're currently going through and i think there's this weird dichotomy of they know that i'm a real human being because i wasn't just a dude that they watched on a youtube video in their homeroom you know like i'm a real guy because i stood in their auditorium but at the same time they know that they're probably never going to see me again so i think that that gives them the freedom to be a little bit more forthcoming and that's been a a really really powerful tool for us because as someone who's still a coach i'm still a mandated reporter so if somebody comes up to me and gives me something where it's like oh man like i would absolutely report this if this is one of my kids we work out something in advance with counseling staff or administration depending on the school because i know these kids are always going to come up at the end and if somebody gives me something that is reportable i'll kind of do a non-verbal gesture towards that counselor usually it's all just kind of look in that general direction and reach back for a stretch like that and then they know okay like this kid just told him something then they can look see who that kid is cross-reference that with our list of kids that they're already checking in with and so usually when when i give them that signal it's you know that's one of those kids that has already been into the council office they're already discussing this kind of thing but every once in a while it's one that's like whether it was intentional or not has slipped through the cracks and they're like, man, we, we got to bring this kid in. We got to talk to him. And then like, I'll debrief with those, those counselors or administrators after the fact and tell them what the kid told me, essentially. And it's, it's weird, man, because it's different. We're in, like, in, in different schools. Sometimes it will be three kids that want to hang out. We, we sit and we talk for 10 minutes. And sometimes there's literally a line out the auditorium. Uh, and we haven't really figured out the rhyme or reason as to what the difference is there. but. Uh, but yeah, there's always some kind of response. And so a lot of times, again, coming back to what you're asking about, if through one of those discussions, a kid tells me something that would be really applicable to pretty much everybody that we talk to, we'll bring that into the next talk that we do. Um, obviously, keeping anonymity for the kids, like leaving their names out or whatever. And But a lot of times, it's the main reason we have social media is not for promotion, because quite frankly, we don't really need that. We've had... Uh, you know, of those 91 talks that we gave, not a single one came from a cold call. It was all word of mouth, people reaching out to us and not the other way around. And so we really don't need the promotion. It's, we just wanted to meet kids where they're at. And kids are on social media and kids do not send emails. Okay? Uh, and kids won't text you, obviously, unless you give out the, your personal cell phone number. And giving my own personal cell phone out to, you know, 30,000 kids is probably not a great idea. So with, through our social media, we give them an avenue to, to tell me in their direct words what's going on in their life. And then again, kind of following that same thing, if, if something is a, uh, a thing that I would run up the flagpole because I'm worried about this kid, now I can screenshot that, send it directly to their school counselor. They have in their words exactly what that kid said, what they're going through, et cetera. Uh, but, but a lot of times, some of the, the things that I will add to the next talk come from those social media interactions where kids are truly comfortable in saying what's going on in their minds. And, so, and I think that's a really powerful thing, too, when I can, I can screenshot a part of a conversation, obviously blur out the kid's profile picture, blur out their name, and any kind of relevant contact information. But I can say, like, look, this is what was going on with her in this last school that we were at, and let's discuss this. You know, and there aren't a ton of those that are super applicable to everybody because usually a kid wants to talk about one specific instance, but, but those certainly have happened and we do use them in, in multiple schools. So do you think any of your 
your your nonprofit or any of that is going to pivot at all towards more of the awareness and uh, helping out, you know, being able to contact the administration and counselors if such things arise, or is it oh, where you are right now? That's pretty... a big part of what we do now. Yeah, we basically we we go in and we have we have a few goals when we go into a school. Number one, we we want to talk to those kids that are struggling, but at the same time, I'm almost going more to talk to the kids that aren't, to let them understand that this this mental health stuff, man, like it it is a real thing. And it's something that that affects that captain of the football team, that division one athlete, that state champion wrestler, that person that's achieved a lot of political success. And like I'll ask you, it's like, how many of you want to win a state championship? And anybody that plays a sport puts their hand up. So how many of you want to be a D1 athlete? Raise your hand to put their hand up. It's like, okay, I checked a lot of those boxes. Okay. All those things that you're wanting to accomplish that you put your hand up for, I've done all of those. And I dealt with this as bad as anybody has. And like, it's affecting somebody that's sitting in your row right now that you have no idea because just like me, they were really, really good at hiding it. And, and I, so we go in there to, to teach those kids that, that aren't dealing with it. Like, yes, this is real. And you have an opportunity to be somebody else's hero. But at the same time, for those kids that are struggling with it, we say like, these are some, some tools that you can use when you're, when you're either in or outside of the school day to where you have some resources so that there's like there's always somebody that's available to help you with whatever it is that you're going through and so you know we we talk about the the in-house resources which again are going to change regardless of of what school you're in they're going to be different right uh, but if you if you look at some of the other things that are available to kids for free at home you know you got apps like seven cups you've got apps like a friend to ask you've got you know nine eight eight all those kind of things that we talk about uh, so hopefully kids always have at their thumb's length when they're scared on the phone, they've always got something that they can reach to and, and use as a resource when things aren't going so well. And so to ask about yours, I mean, when was that sort of, when did it sort of present itself or do you remember? Uh, yeah, I, I remember pretty, pretty vividly. It was when uh, however old you are coming out of eighth grade that's when I really started noticing that was someone quite right and you know back in 1993 um, nobody talked about depression it wasn't a thing that was a point of discussion and so I really had no idea what was going on with me but I knew that it, it wasn't normal you know and and then once I I started getting into you know my my early adulthood then it started becoming a little bit more of a point of discussion. And, you know, then you start seeing commercials on TV all the time for Zoloft or, you know, Xanax or whatever. And like, and so as the, as the internet, start, I can't believe how old I am. Yeah. As the internet starts becoming a real thing right. where you can actually research stuff and, uh, and all that is like, okay, wow. And then, and then it took me until, you know, I was 41 years old to actually address it. Um, and I think that, like a lot of males, especially if you're working in a male-dominated industry like coaching, I, I think we are really, really good at handling it on our own until we can't. And then when we can't, it, it generally doesn't end well. Uh, and I think that's why you hear, I mean, every one of us, man, we all know, know or know of 
somebody that's a, that you would categorize as a middle-aged male that has died by suicide or attempted suicide that you you say to yourself, man, I never would have seen it coming from him, right? And that's because right. I'm really, really good at building a public-facing facade and crafting this image of a human being that we want to be for the rest of society to see, but then behind closed doors, it's a completely different animal. And thankfully, I... I had my uh, my moment of I can't do this on my own anymore, and had a, a really good support system around me to help me through that. And yeah, you know, we've we've gotten to a point where it's something that's manageable. And it's yeah, it's and, and like you can talk about it now. Like just even that part is something that's huge. And I mean, yeah, not nothing that was going on in the late '90s, and I mean even. Even like when you were saying, like even like when the internet was sort of starting to happen, even then it was still very few people who were even looking that way. Or, you know, if the TV didn't tell you, then I mean, what what is it? Um, I don't know. It was it was interesting. I I yeah, same kind of thing. You know, yeah, held I, it for a long time and you can't hold it forever. Right. It's it's really cool to see the pendulum starting to swing in the other direction, right? As a uh, like as a former PE teacher, like I'm this coach's office that's adjacent to the locker room. It's got windows there so you can supervise locker room while you're doing whatever. And I used to have kids that would like just ten years ago, they would come into my office and be like, they just kind of whisper at me, hey, "Mr. Parker, I'm I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I have to I have an appointment I have to go to." And now it's like kids that are high on the social hierarchy, man. Like they kick the locker room door open and they're like, hey, hey, Steve, tell Miss Jenkins I'm not going to be in fourth hour. I got to go see my therapist. You know, like, and that was not a thing five years sure. ago. You know, and and now kids are so much more willing to talk about it. And we're just we're just out there trying to hit those stragglers, man, that, that haven't had that lived experience that, or that maybe don't respect other people's truths at this point. And, you know, as, as I tell kids, it's like, if we continue doing this work of posting about it on social media, of, of talking about it openly and honestly, you know who else is gonna be okay with talking about it? That's your kids. And when you get two generations in a row that are all on the same page, that's how you enact true lasting social change. And we're close, man. It's, I think that this is gonna be something that 30 years from now, people are gonna look back and be like, oh my gosh, can you believe there used to be a stigma attached to this thing? And I just, I don't think that that's gonna be the case as long as people keep working at this. Yeah, I mean, you know, 30 years ago, like we were just saying, I guess yeah, 30 years ago, um, yeah, it was a lot different than it is now. And then, yeah, 30 years from now, going to be hopefully a lot different than it is right now. So, yeah. So if, if people are going to reach out to you in one way or another, how are they going to do that? How are they going to reach out to you? Where are they going to find you? How are they going to book you? Um, sending you first class, obviously. Uh, all the <laughs> well, all the best accommodations. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the best way to go about it is our organization is called the Jones Project, and if you go to www, the, I guess you don't need the W's anymore. Again, we're talking about internet infancy, but uh, yeah, if you go to the Jones Project org, uh, there at the top banner on that page, you'll find all of our social media stuff. If that's something that you're interested in following, but um, most importantly, there's a contact us form there. And when you fill that out, that come that's an email that will come directly to me. So whether it were, would be a 
you know, something the Jones Project related. That's the cool thing, man. It's like with, with the Jones Project, I don't think we talked about this. Everyone can afford free, right? And like, and that was the mission of this thing. It's like, there, there aren't many schools out there that have budgeted the amount of money that, you know, like a, prof- a good professional speaker costs to bring that person in, especially when you start talking about rural farming communities in Western Kansas. And so you know, through this organization, it's like, we can do this for free and then just base my salary off of like some of the fundraising stuff that we do. And, and it's a modest salary, but at the same time, it affords me the opportunity to do what we do. And then for the professional type stuff, like obviously if we're going to go speak at a conference of adults, that's, that's different than the mission of the Jones project, but regardless of whether it would be, you know, something free in a school, something on the professional side, if you go to the jonesproject.org, hit that contact, contact us button at the top and, and then we'll start talking then. Excellent. And uh, one last thing. So you, you said, if you ever want a, a business line for your, like a business cell phone, um, Google Voice is is free and it will just forward right to your phone and you don't ever have to give out your phone number. Um, nice. And yeah, it's great. I have it for mine. And um, so, I mean, people basically have my access to call me on my phone, but without giving out my personal phone number. Yeah, and it's free and it'll uh, transcribe all the messages. To, oh, nice. uh, it's under email and stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, Thank you so much for being on here and yeah, getting to talk about everything and just being open to talking about whatever. And I appreciate that it makes uh, something good for the people who are listening. And yeah, I hope so. I hope everyone can get get enough out of this. So I hope so. Um, it's like we tell people we're just just trying to be helpful. So hopefully this is helpful for somebody you got out there listening. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being on. And yeah, we'll uh, stay in touch. All right. Right on. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate you. Yeah. You bet. All right, Damon Parker right there. Thank you guys so much for listening and being here and check him out. Book him, uh, go to the, his website. It's all there for you. It's it's good. Um, yeah. So thank you everyone for listening here. I lost my voice. Um, hold on one second. Let me cough and not into the speaker. I mean, microphone. Um, thank you for listening here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN. Like, subscribe, share. Check it out on YouTube or Rumble if you want to watch and see our pretty faces. Or if you really don't want to see my face because I have a face for radio, uh, you can listen anywhere you check out podcasts. So. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you to our sponsors, Fred Ben Savage as Fuck, Stone Reese Productions, Hardcore Entertainment, Hypnosis is Great, and SockMup.org. And that is the show, man. Boom! It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker.
Ernest! 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 <coughs> yes, Pee-wee. You brought the snacks, right? <laughs>